A daily digest of the who, what, and why of Waterloo Region. Welcome to Kitchener Today on City News 570. We are having a little problem connecting with Larry, producer Polly in here for just a few moments. So yeah, so so that's what's happening. Fly by the seat radio. So that's what's happening. So we will connect with Larry in a few moments. I mean, I suppose we could take a couple of phone calls if you want. I mean, we just finished doing rant or rave on the Mike Farwell show. So if you do want to call in. And take a couple of phone calls. We could do that while we are trying to connect with Larry Fedorik here on Kitchener Today, of course, on City News 570. 519-570-2545, out of town, 1-800-570-5715, and star 570. Just give me three seconds. I have my little poly pile. I always come prepared when I host here, and... uh, Oh, you found him? Is he there? Can you hear me? Larry? Yes, I can hear you. There we go. Larry, are you ready to go? You can take it away. <laughs> I am ready to go. What an auspicious beginning for a uh, Monday. You know, I was going to start the program today by complaining about the weather, but instead I'm going to complain about my um, technical abilities. Apparently I'm a Luddite here, but we are all together. And, and speaking of, uh, I'm Larry Fedorik. And I'm guest hosting today. We met last week. I was guest hosting Kitchener Today last Monday. And I'm thrilled to be asked back. And here I am. We finally made it on. Okay. Uh, that didn't take too long. And uh, I, I'm glad to be back on uh, with everyone here. I, I'm going to say that, oddly enough, we're going to start talking today about a technical issue, a cyber issue, if you will. So that's that's going to be interesting. You, you already know my... Uh, cyber technical expertise here by my lack of being able to get on properly today. Nevertheless, uh, also coming up later this hour, I want to talk about an announcement that is still actually going on today, a press conference, if you will, still going on today, featuring our federal and provincial governments from Ontario, announcing that Ontario is now part of the child care and early learning program that the federal government announced uh, some uh, months ago, Ontario being the last uh, province to kind of sign on, sign in to this. And uh, I feel like it's terrific news all around for, uh, uh, you know, parents across Ontario. 
and that 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 event, that announcement, just kind of wrapping up in Brampton, Ontario now. But I want to talk about that. As I said, in the second half of our hour, this hour, uh, we'll talk with Child Care Now about what this means for you, what this means for parents across Ontario. Uh, and as always, I would love your input uh, and uh, give us a call. See what you think. If you have thoughts on any of our topics today, you can reach the show. You can reach Kitchener today at 519-570-2545, 1-800-570-5715. That is toll free. Star 570 on your cell. We will repeat those numbers so uh, if you want to uh, share your thoughts on any of our topics today, as I mentioned, uh, a technical take today off the top of Kitchener today, and it is, it is part of a, uh, a factor, another variant of this Russian invasion of Ukraine. Correctly so for the last, and can you imagine when you hear that this is, I think, the 33rd day of the invasion, uh, in in many ways it seems longer. In many ways it seems like it was just last week. But here we are, and correctly, I think a lot of people have been focusing on the humanitarian crisis that uh, surrounds this invasion. But there is another uh, weapon, shall we say, in the Russian arsenal, and that is cyber security and cyber attacks. They are a clearly a factor of modern-day warfare, so much so that NATO recognizes a cyber attack uh, as an attack of war, and it could prompt, according to their regulations, uh, a military response. That's I, I really don't have to tell you how much we depend on cyber today, right, uh, for, for so many of our systems both personally and, and uh, generally throughout various organizations and industries. So, so here we are. are. Are we facing this cyber attack? And um, if so, who exactly? I mean, rightly so, the phrase Russian hackers has become part of our uh, lexicon, and, and I think they've, they've earned that reputation. Uh, but what do we have to look out for when it comes to cyber uh, attacks? Our guest is co-founder and COO of a cybersecurity company called Field Effect. And he is Andrew Loeschman. He joins us now. Hello, Andrew. Hi, good afternoon. Uh, thank you for joining us on this, Andrew. Andrew, uh, first of all, your opinion. I've been hearing thoughts over the last couple of days that, in fact, uh, Russia is still holding back on cyber threats as yet another weapon. Uh, whether it be a weapon of um, reaction to uh, people aiding Ukraine or whether it be just another factor of their attack. Is it your belief that Russia is still considering a cyber attack? I, I think it, it certainly would fall within the, the realm of possibility. When you, when you think about nation states and, and military action, uh, you often see cyber attacks that, that might precede uh, kinetic or on-the-ground military action. And, and, you know, certainly we, we've seen this in the past with Russia and Ukraine and, and, and the region there. Um, and uh, with respect to how Russia might behave and react to some of the restrictions and measures that have been placed on it uh, by Western and other 
uh, nations worldwide, certainly they would be looking at the arsenal of uh, options at their disposal for uh, taking retaliatory action. And, and certainly we know Russia to be uh, one of the strongest uh, nation state actors when it comes to cybersecurity or cyber attacks rather in the world. Right. And, and it's an important uh, phrase you use there is state actors, because these aren't necessarily rogue individuals, rogue hackers in it for their own personal wealth, although they, they may be as well. We, we don't know that, that these, this, the cyber warfare, and I'm not saying Russia is the only one that has this, this uh, capability or this uh, team, but this is, this is a, this is a state actor, right? This is, this is one of the weapons in and the government runs a lot of these kind of hacking uh, um, farms, if you will. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Russia, Russia as a nation state actor, meaning uh, the the federal government in that country has a, a structured and developed capability to take carry out uh, espionage and, and cyber attacks on on a foreign basis. Um, they they are one of the best, as noted, and I think that. Um, it, it is important to recognize that uh, in terms of threats to businesses and individuals in, in Canada and, and, and really globally, there's really two types of outcomes that, that could happen here. The first is, is really just a little bit of cyber mayhem. So uh, the Russian government is known to have been turning a blind eye to uh, the cybercrime elements within its borders over the past few years. And this is where we see a lot of the ransomware type activities. And so uh, I would say it'd be well within the realm of possibility that the so-called, you know, cyber crime or even ha- cyber hacktivist community within Russia or those sympathetic to the Russian government uh, might, uh, you know, take out uh, whatever action they, they could against Western and, and foreign businesses and individuals. The other uh, possibility is, is a structured government campaign. And so if you, you think about some of the, the previous activities the Russian government has undertaken, you think about 2017, the not Petya attacks, which were related to the Ukraine uh, conflict, um, which took out the Maersk shipping line, FedEx, and caused hundreds of millions of damage in uh, wiperware or ransomware at the, at the time we were calling it uh, for that particular attack. Um, it, it can be quite extreme. And, and we also are, are aware that the Russian government had perpetrated uh, what we called the solar winds attack, where they they had pre-positioned by a, uh, a supply chain attack uh, capabilities for gathering intelligence as well as gaining control of infrastructure and businesses worldwide. So certainly they have uh, mm. a, a, a very strong technical capability. Wow, uh, this is so amazing because if people ever think that um, you know cyber warfare is, is part of the modern day warfare. It's not just, as you pointed out, Andrew, and and you can maybe back this up, it's not one military cyber team attacking another military cyber team. I'm trying to disable via computer your missiles. It's And that, in fact, may happen. But what you're outlining here is the, the cyber attacks are on things we've heard about, like private companies, like a FedEx or a shipping line or possibly a hydro grid or w- whatever. Those are the attacks that we have to fear most, is that correct? Well, well, that's just it. So you have to put yourself in, in the shoes of, of what uh, the adversary or what the Russian government in this case might be thinking, which is what is, what is the outcome that they are looking to achieve? And so uh, certainly in traditional uh, Cold War type uh, 
environments, it would be government against government uh, type espionage. But in, in modern day, uh, the Russian government might be seeking, yes, to still gather intelligence, but they might be seeking to um, disrupt uh, their adversary's ability to operate, uh, focus on critical infrastructure could be a possibility, uh, just simply uh, eroding the ability for uh, Canada and for other countries to operate in, in the global economy. And you think about our reliance on digital infrastructure and technology, uh, just the, the opportunities for, for causing problems uh, really are, are quite broad. How secure are we? I, I, I guess, rightly or wrongly, Andrew, you can tell me, and our guest is Andrew Loeschman. He's uh, with the cybersecurity firm Field Effect. Uh, Andrew, you can tell me, I kind of feel maybe like governments keep an eye on their security, cybersecurity, banks, a few hospitals. I don't know. What about all the other companies that um, could be so, uh, or a cyber attack on them could be so effective? How secure are we in the Western world, if you will? Yeah, I think it's really a mixed bag. You you mentioned a few organizations that uh, certainly have had a decade to think about their cybersecurity posture, their investments in cybersecurity, meaning people, uh, processes, uh, technology, security monitoring, and so on. And a, a lot of organizations uh, do very well. And, and I'm happy to say many of the critical infrastructure providers in Canada, I know, <clears throat> excuse me, have uh, have a very uh, mature and uh, and uh, strong cybersecurity program. However, uh, if you look at uh, Canada as a whole, uh, you know I remember just looking at a recent study, um, a random survey of internet accessible vulnerabilities um, on Canadian businesses and on American businesses. Canadian businesses had on a per capita or proportional basis a significantly higher number of vulnerabilities in uh, their internet-facing infrastructure. And, and they're really, uh, you know, they're, that, that just really goes back to uh, what are businesses, what are we as a country looking at in terms of uh, the importance and significance of cybersecurity and how much we're investing in it. So all that to say, uh, it, it really is a mixed bag in terms of the maturity of organizations and how well they would be uh, prepared to defend against the cyber attack. Okay, two-parter, and we're, we're running a little short on time here, Andrew. I hate to rush you because this is fascinating, but uh, and it, it involves the individual. So I'm at home. Should I be worried as an individual? I mean, I, I always try and be aware of, of what I'm clicking on and, and et cetera. But I'm also perhaps people working from home. So I'm now plugged into my company's system. What should I be watching for kind of both personally and professionally? Yeah, that's um, an, an excellent question. Uh, I think that uh, as a cybersecurity community, we're really reinforcing the basics. Um, use a password manager where, if you can, um, implement multi-factor authentication, patch and update your systems. All of these things make a material improvement in, in your cybersecurity. As an individual, the probability of, of Russia focusing specifically on you is, is low, but the probability that you might be involved in a, a collateral uh, attack or, or issue um, is, is, is non-zero. So, so certainly doing what you can will make a difference. As a member of a, you know, as an employee in a business, um, I think it's fair to ask questions. You know, how, how is the business implementing 
cybersecurity measures? What is what is your role in it as an employee? Um, and uh, asking about uh, what, what the investment looks like and, and what the business is doing to ensure that um, cybersecurity is as strong as it can be. Uh, it, 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 it's all about maturity and uh, cybersecurity. Is, good cybersecurity is within reach. And so it's more than just having a firewall and a few basic uh, basics in place, but uh, certainly being active and, and asking about how, how the investment's being made is, is a good step. This is great advice and great words and uh, great insights too. Andrew Loshman, thank you so much, Andrew. It's uh, been a pleasure chatting. Thank you. Me as well. Andrew Loshman is co-founder, COO of cybersecurity company Field Effects. I want to hear from you on this, including have you ever fallen for uh, any of these things personally, never mind, uh, you know, uh, a a Russian uh, attack on a company that you may be associated with uh, just generally your your sense of cyber attacks and where you are with it uh, today, uh, 1-800-570-5715, that is toll free. You can also call me and Kitchener today at 519-570-2545, star 570 on your cell. I'm Larry Fedora, guest hosting on Kitchener today. We'll be right back on City News 570. I think that uh, as a cybersecurity community. Doric, your guest host for today, if you're just joining us, we were talking about the possibility of um, cyber attacks from Russia. And this is something that can affect all of us. And we have been focusing, as I said correctly, focusing these last 33 days on the humanitarian crisis uh, facing directly the people of Ukraine and the people of Eastern Europe connected to Ukraine who are uh, absorbing millions of uh, Ukrainian uh, migrants, refugees running away, trying to run to safety. It is uh, incredible to witness uh, through television and through our social medias the, this this incredible humanitarian crisis. Uh, at, at the same time, this cyber attack, a, a factor of modern day warfare, uh, could really affect a, a lot of us around the world. And, a, you know, worst case scenario that people have been talking about that not necessarily is going to happen, but that, you know, uh, hydro grids across Canada, US, Europe could suddenly just be out. I don't know that they have that power. Um, and I don't. I'm not implying that things like hydro grids are uh, unsecure, insecure, insecure, unsecure are not secure. But the the um, the idea that uh, you you know for hackers, and not that I know any personally, but it, it's the, these things are a challenge. The 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 tougher the security, and the bigger the walls, and the thicker the walls, <laughs> the the more it's a challenge for hackers to to get in there. And when they are state actors, you know, state-run hacking firms and organizations who are part of a military effort, uh, it it can be scary. And again, I'm, I'm painting the worst-case scenario. I, I don't know that it's going to happen, but I mean, many experts on the weekend, and it's kind of why I wanted to have um, Mr. Loeschman on from Field Effect, the cybersecurity company, uh, kind of just as a re-up for us individuals. I mean, if you're just at home and you're using your computer for personal purposes and all these kinds of 
things. I mean, <clears throat> maybe you do watch uh, a little more, what kind of emails you click on, what kind of links are provided and this kind of thing. Uh, but, it, but at the same time, if you're logged in for your company and you're working from home, I mean, how, how well is your company, how secure are they and what are the, um, um, what are the, the, the rules and, and regulations and, every, you know, how secure are they? What, what have they built up to ensure that their company is secure, you're secure and these kinds of things? Because all it can take is one employee making one mistake and then we've got some trouble. Those are worst case scenarios. So, so I mean, it's, it's, the, it's the social world. Be careful out there, I guess, is what I'm saying. Uh, what an announcement today about child care in Ontario. That is our next topic on Kitchener Today in just a few minutes. Welcome back to the program. I'm your guest host, Larry Fedorik guest hosted last week just filling in and uh, great to be back on kitchener today it's in the news 570 uh, i want to talk about child care and the announcement today now the federal government had announced uh, plans for ten dollar a day child care uh, across canada but provinces and territories had to sign on and the holdout was the province of ontario and I, I believe about one third of this the is budget that feds had um, set aside uh, covered Ontario, but Ontario had some issues with that. So it, it apparently in late night negotiations last night, uh, there was a deal reached and an announcement today made about this, um, uh, this agreement for childcare in Ontario, affordable childcare. And it was made in Brampton, and uh, the Prime Minister was there. Here he is. This is real money that will stay in the pockets of families this year to help with everything else. We're going to meet our $10 a day target in four years, and at the same time, create 86,000 new spaces by the end of 2026 across Ontario. And there was also Christian Freeland and, of course, Ontario Premier Doug Ford. Uh, here's what he had to say. It's a great deal for Ontario parents and the right deal for Ontarians. It's a deal that provides flexibility in how we allocate federal funding. Flexibility that was critical to making this program work in Ontario. How will the program work? That's from, gosh, only about 90 minutes, two hours ago, Doug Ford, you heard there before that, the prime minister announcing that uh, Ontario is in on this affordable child care. And joining us to talk about that, executive director of Child Care Now, Morna Ballantyne, joining Kitchener today. Hello, Morna. Hello, how are you? I'm good. How are you? Great. Good day. Good day from Ontario. I want... I wanted to ask you about that. You are you are happy about this news, I take it, and tell me why exactly. Well, I'm really happy an agreement was reached um, because, after all, this agreement will bring to Ontario, Ontario families, Ontario children, $10.2 billion of federal funds um, to address a crisis in childcare that now exists in the province and exists across the country. So it's really good to have this agreement signed. It's, you know, it was very close to the deadline, 
um, the money for this fiscal year, 21-22, money of $1.2 billion was going to expire um, on the 31st of March. So this is a just-in-time agreement, but very happy it was reached. Now, uh, what, now, why did we, we, I say Ontario, we, why were we the last to sign into the federal program? What was the issue before that, as you see it? Well, there were a number of issues that the Ontario government raised in the media, concerns that they had with the federal government's uh, child care plan proposal. Um, the Ontario government wanted a bigger share of the federal funds. Um, and also, you know, they wanted, as, as we heard on the clip from Premier Ford, they wanted flexibility. But I have to say that, you know, after hearing the announcement and reading the background papers produced by the, the government of Ontario, I can't see anything in this agreement um, that um, couldn't have been signed 10 months ago. Uh, it is very similar to the other agreements signed with other, in other jurisdictions. Um, but having said that, I'm still glad it was signed. All right. Well, I, I've got my theories on that. I'm sure you have too. Maybe we'll we'll get to them. But I'm I'm more interested at this point, Morna, in how did we get to this crisis point? I have a few theories of my own on that. But how do we get to this crisis point in in child care in the first place? Yeah, I mean the crisis in child care is essentially that there is a greater need uh, for licensed child care than there is supply. And one of the main reasons for that is that um, governments of all levels until now haven't assumed responsibility for making sure that licensed childcare actually exists and is available uh, to families, to communities across the province in an equitable way. And so the crisis is that, you know, there's not enough of it. And also the crisis is that it is way too expensive. And the reason for that is that, again, governments haven't funded uh, child care services sufficiently. And so as a result, parents have had to make up the difference in very high fees. And because of the parents have had to really bear the cost of licensed child care through fees, it means that child care operators have not had enough money to be able to provide the highest quality of programs. And most importantly, they haven't had enough money to be able to attract and recruit early childhood ed educators, qualified early childhood educators to staff the programs. So we have a big additional crisis in Ontario and across the country right now where we have a shortage of qualified early childhood educators. So all of these things together, um, you know, made it that, uh, made it, you know, finally the federal government in its 2021 budget said, we're going to have to fix this. And one of the main reasons it came in 2021 is because the pandemic really shone a light on the systemic problems of childcare across the country, the problem of affordability, the problem of availability, the problem of not being able to attract and retain qualified early childhood educators. Well, I mean, we're in a situation where both parents have to work. Both parents may want to work. Even at the conference today, Morna, I don't know if you had a chance to, to look at it. Christopher Freeland said that part, partly this was a feminist issue for the last few decades where women are saying, I don't want to necessarily pause my career 
um, for years and years in order to have a family as well. Uh, so, I, you know, I, 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 I hate to be trite, but the times they are a change and they have changed. And it seems like the child care didn't keep up. Hopefully now it has a little bit or it's catching up. I hope. Yeah. I mean, women, women, you know, families um, have been in situations where both parents, if there are two parents, are, you know, in the paid labor force. Um, now, men are in the paid labor force at a much higher percentage than, than women, and especially um, mothers with young children. So there is a big gap. And yes, it is unaffordable for most families to, uh, to not have two incomes. And if you, um, you know, want two incomes and you have young children, then you need to be able to have access to reliable childcare. Absolutely. Um, so yes, it's, uh, but you know, this has always been the case. Uh, it has been the case for a long time. We've seen participation of women in the paid labor force, but what it's meant is that families and especially mothers have really had to scramble. And it also has meant that, um, mothers with young children who might have wanted to work full time have only been able to work part time. So, you know, what this does is actually puts in place a robust system so that no matter what a family's circumstances, um, they'll have access to reliable, high-quality childcare. So it's a long-standing problem, um, and it's so good that it's finally we're going to finally start to see the beginning of a fix. It's going to take long to, to you know take much longer to actually get the full fix in place. I want to ask you about that, but let me just clarify as well, because everything today is talked about child care and early learning. That's the name of this initiative and program. So it involves, I mean, what does that mean, early learning? So it's a bit of a more of a nursery school or kindergarten, more so than just a babysitting, if you will? Yes. Well, the, the concept of early learning and child care is um, that all programs, whether they be licensed programs, whether they be in a family home setting, or whether they be in a center, whether they be a nursery school, as you say, um, or before and after school program, that young children need both care and they need early childhood education. And that's where the concept of building a system of early learning and childcare, they have to be integrated. And that's what this is all about. And this is, you know, this is true from birth right up, you know, until adulthood, that children um, to develop well, to remain healthy, um, need both care and they need early learning, or early childhood education. Morna Ballantyne with Child Care Now. Morna, is this uh, initiative include money for added infrastructure or the training of... Uh, of uh, educators and caregivers, because I heard there was going to be money for that. Well, there was some there were some rumors that were circulating that um, you know Ontario had successfully gotten some additional money from the federal government for uh, infrastructure. In it, I guess you could say capital funding, funding to actually build and expand the physical facilities. That was not part of this agreement. It's funding that is definitely needed. Um, and we're really hopeful 
that the federal government is going to be putting its mind to how the federal government can support the capital expansion of the system. And we're hoping, too, that the Ontario government will do the same. And with respect to, you know, the whole question about, um, you know, important part of the infrastructure, of course, are the early childhood educators and those who work in childcare including their professional development. Our sense is is that the agreement that was announced today, again, falls short. um, The provincial government has said uh, that it was making professional development and workforce issues a focus uh, of the building this new system, but the wage increases that they have announced, um, you know, to be put in place over the next five years really fall short of what is necessary to make employment in the child care sector, you know, really um, favorable and uh, employment that people would want to train for and stay in. There was some talk of $18 an hour with a guaranteed dollar uh, an hour increase year to year for the next three or four years. I I don't know. We'll see. But uh, Mona, before we let you go, child care now, tell me a little bit about your organization, if you would. Yes, well, we are a National Child Care Advocacy Association, and we were first established in 1982. So we've been advocating for this kind of change in early learning and child care for 40 years. This will be our 40th anniversary this year. And uh, we've been very, very active in trying to get the federal government to put more money in early learning and child care. And, of course, we were successful in doing that, we and many others, in 2021. And we're also now really focused in making sure that the billions of dollars that have now been allocated of public money that's been allocated to this project are used effectively and used properly so that we will see the results that we're all hoping for, that we will see early learning and child care available to all who want it. That's really our objective. And it'll take some time to get there, but our, you know, we will keep doing that uh, across the country in every province and every territory. I don't know if you have the stats handy. I don't necessarily need exact numbers, but we always hear that we're an aging country, but uh, I, I guess we're, we're uh, that's changing. Demographics are changing. People are still having children. The need is out there uh, and, it is. and growing. Is it? Is. And, you know, when, when this is one of the things that we've been calling for. We really want, you know, especially if the public, public is going to be funding an early learning and child care system, we have to make sure that those who are in charge of early learning and child care are really responsive to the changing needs of the population. And it's going to that, you know, only governments can do that effectively. So we really want the government to be much more hands-on, much more proactive, and I'm talking specifically about provincial and territorial governments in managing the supply of early learning and child care. In the same way that, you know, we see public education, primary and secondary education, in the same way we see health care as a government responsibility, that it really is the government that has to make sure it's there for us, that's how early learning and child care should be regarded as well. I would think so. Uh, great discussion, Morna Ballantyne. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me. Morna Ballantyne is executive director of Child Care Now, and look them up on. I'm on their website now, actually, childcarenow.ca, and it's um, it's fantastic. A lot of information there, and really responding to this news today, 
And uh, we've been talking about this for months, ever since the federal government said $10 a day child care. And uh, that's what we're offering. That was certainly uh, bolstered by the coalition last week. And I know I'm not supposed to use the word coalition, but it just seems so handy. Uh, between the federal liberals and the federal NDP, it, it seemed like, you know, if that was ever in doubt, that uh, that doubt went away after that agreement between the two parties, because that is certainly something daycare, uh, affordable daycare would certainly, and I'm not, I'm not saying other opposition parties uh, don't like the idea. I'm not implying that. I'm just saying that certainly that is something the NDP would, would be in on very quickly. And uh, it, it kind of helped the process. Now, the provinces and territories that sign on, except for Ontario, we had some concern about that until some rumors late last night, and I guess discussions were still going on last night, uh, to get Ontario to sign on. Ontario, and I think rightly so, because, you know, we're the biggest, we're the center of the universe. So we, we had some concerns about the monies um, and monies that might expire and monies that we would need because the 10 to 12 billion the figures that you hear doesn't cover the whole program in Ontario. Uh, it covers, by my understanding, about a third of it. So there's still some money that the province has to pony up as well, as, as Morna alluded to. Uh, but we heard all that today. And that's the, that's the response to this new um, child care idea, and, 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 and also it's, it's going to take some time to implement, but not forever. This is not something you have to look at way next year or the year after that. You know, sooner than later is my understanding of when, as a parent of young children who need child care while a parent is working or both parents are working, that this is something that is going to be relatively quickly on the horizon for you and, and direct savings for uh, for parents. Now, uh, and I want to get your thoughts on this because I have some ideas about the timing of this. We can certainly touch on that. We can certainly get your input on uh, what you think about this plan and this uh, really friendly uh, get together between uh, 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 Justin Trudeau and Doug Ford, like the oldest pals ever, right? <laughs> um, Gosh, I hope that's true. You know, I hope uh, I hope uh, politically uh, uh, opposite people can get together and work for the people. I mean, that's the ideal, I guess. But anyway, we'll talk about that and sort of wrap up our conversation on child care here on Kitchener Today. I'm Larry Fedoruk on City News 570. What this does is actually puts in place a robust system so that no matter what a family's circumstances, they'll have access to reliable, high-quality childcare. So it's so good that it's finally, we're going to finally start to see the beginning of a fix. It's going to take long to, to you know, take much longer to actually get the full fix in place. Our conversation with Morna Ballantyne, Executive Director of Child Care Now, reacting to the announcement today by the federal and provincial governments, our Prime Minister and our Premier of Ontario, uh, gathering in Brampton to announce that Ontario is in to the Federal Child Care and Early Learning Program, the last province to sign on, but we are signed on, and hopefully affordable child care is um, sooner than later. Your thoughts on this, uh, 519-570-2545, 1-800-570-5715, toll-free, 
star 570 on your cell phone. Rush is joining the program. Hello, Rush. Hi, Larry. Um, yeah, I understand the need for it. I think it's, I think it's definitely needed. Um, I'm disappointed because I now my I have three kids and all of them are now old enough that they, um, you know, go to school full time and then take care of themselves after school. Uh, so I'm not going to make make use of it. I do totally get it because if we didn't have a, a if I didn't have a fantastic mother-in-law, um, my wife would not have been able to go back into the workforce. I would have had three kids uh, under the age of of five at one time, and the daycare costs just would have been astronomical uh it wouldn't we would have lost money by her going back to work uh so she was able to go back to work because i have a great mother-in-law um and built herself a a fantastic career i think that all that said though this is sort of this is the the free childcare or cheap cheap childcare is still a band-aid to what is the larger picture which is that it's no longer possible for a single a single income household to, to survive. Inflation right. has eaten up the the um, has eaten up families' ability to support themselves. It used to be that one person in a household could work, um, uh, work a, a regular you know nine to five job and support for four kids um, and and their whole household. And and that's just no longer possible anymore. Um, so I I hope to I hope to see that. Uh, fixed in the coming years, though it doesn't look like uh, it doesn't look like many governments have have an appetite to tackle inflation because it would just be too plain, too painful. Um, right. For them to do right. So. Uh, Rush, that was a great call. I appreciate you chiming in on the show today. Thank you so much. Yeah, I mean, and Rush brings up so many great points, but I mean, one of them being that um, a lot of families over the years have had a family structure where mother-in-law, whatever it is. Uh, but that's not always the case, and that is, is, as we know, is is tough. And we're at a time when maybe mother-in-law is working now. So in a past where a mother-in-law would say, "All right, I'll I'll help out with the kids, my pleasure," um, the the structure isn't there for everybody. So now you you're looking around for daycare. And the other point, I mean, there's many points there, but the, that he brings up is this, is this, and I really under, I guess, I think I understand this entire push from the federal liberals about the middle class, but I've never been particularly comfortable with it because the middle class is a tough road to hoe because middle class in Canada usually means that both parents have to work um, and that daycare is not affordable and that you cannot, even with both parents working and then having to do daycare, you cannot break even. As Rush said, you could lose money. Uh, certainly not make a lot of money. And I understand personally, too, that it's not just about the money that you want to pursue a career and work, and that's great as well. But but the middle class usually means inflation and credit card debt and all these stuff. And yet constantly, if the federal government is going to tell us to achieve middle class and they're going to help people get to that middle class, that middle class better be a lot better than it is now because now it's one of the you know, with all due respect to people who live below the poverty line, middle class is pretty tough to be in. And I think that's, you know, I'm going to say this what Rush meant, is that that's the area that needs improvement. Uh, hey, you know who's uh, always been a strange character a character to me, rather, is Randy Hillier. He's an MPP from down the highway in Kingston area. 
and we're, uh, he's facing more charges as we go as a result of the truckers' protest, criminal charges. We're going to talk about uh, Randy with our Queens Park reporter coming up after the news at one on City News five seventy. Welcome back to Kitchener Today. I'm Larry Fedorik, your guest host, just filling in today on City News 570. And a great lineup for you. A lot of people talking today about the slap. When I don't know that the Oscars still have this cachet where we're buzzing about them the next day. It often takes something like what happened last night at the Oscars in order to get people to talk about the Oscars the next day. As I said, I don't think they're what they used to be. You know, we love our movies and we have our streaming services and, and, and we talk about the movies that we like and the content that we watch, but the Oscars, Oh, what happened at the Oscars? I don't know. I don't know. But, but Will Smith slapping Chris Rock after frankly, what was kind of a lame joke anyway, uh, directed at Will Smith's wife, Jada Pinkett Smith, uh, just walking up on stage slapping him. I mean, that was something. So uh, we are going to talk about that later with um, a professor in uh, cinema studies and history. That's going to be later on in the program. Uh, also want to touch on, um, I, I don't know, the, this. There's, a, there's an event right now people are saying is, is Uniting Canada. And that event is the victory for the Canadian men's soccer team, right? Uh, finally qualified last night. And I heard one soccer expert say last week when Canada lost to Costa Rica, one nothing, that it was actually more difficult for the Canadian men's soccer team to not qualify for the World Cup this November in Cotter than... Uh, it would be for them to qualify. It's almost impossible for them to to screw it up at this point, if you will. And they didn't. And it, and it was somewhat poetic, I guess, that they lost in Costa Rica. They needed one victory to clinch a spot in the World Cup. And they got it uh, on BMO Field. They got it on home soil, Canadian soil, if you will, uh, with a 4 nothing decisive victory over Jamaica last night. So is this uniting Canada? I don't know, but it's certainly one of those events that has uh, gone beyond sports. I'm not a big sports follower. I don't uh, follow soccer as much as I'm not a footy. You know, a lot of people follow soccer. They love soccer. I'm currently not a soccer dad. So where's my soccer interest? Well, I don't know. Somehow. And I guess this is partly what sports does. Even though we might not be sports people, we get caught up in the Olympics or a Super Bowl or the NHL playoffs, the NBA playoffs, the, you know, the big race, the, uh, the World Cup, you know, World Cup. Uh, with Canada in it, it's going to be interesting to find out who a lot of Canadians cheer for because we haven't had um, – team in the world cup for uh, 36 years you know and uh and men's you know lately the object of our fan affection has been the women's sports or women's soccer team rather because they have just been dominant gold medals and victories and stars on the team that we can 
that we can identify with. And it's, it's just been terrific to see not only the growth of Canadian women's soccer, but the growth of, of women's soccer in general. You know what I mean? Um, I don't want to necessarily open up that discussion about sport, men's sports versus women's sports, you know, is the NBA and the WNBA and, and women's hockey and men's hockey. But I think more and more in certain sports, uh, people who are sports fans can watch soccer. I, I think hockey would be in there, basketball, uh, track. Uh, there's a few sports where, where you can say it doesn't matter. This is just, you know, if I enjoy this game, this is a great quality game. And there are certain sports where it doesn't matter at all, where it doesn't matter at all. Just had this discussion with somebody recently. Uh, you know, at the Olympics in Beijing, at the Winter Olympics recently, they had mixed doubles curling. And though strength and the larger body mass of the male body may play into a lot of sports like, let's say, American football, it doesn't play into all sports and disciplines. Uh, The strength of uh, a larger body mass male over a female may have an effect in curling, but very little, minute. There's no reason why... You couldn't have mixed doubles. We do it all the time at a at a club level. You know why not do it professionally? And they or or at a top level like the Olympics. So uh, it's it's interesting to see the discussion of of women's sports. Uh, certainly, and I got off topic there a little bit, but I was going to get into this kind of this growth of the women's soccer team and back to the now the men finally. Oh, poor men! But anyway, poor men finally getting some attention here. Uh, and later on in the show, we're going to get a, a soccer person on from Sportsnet and talk more about uh, what this means, I think, culturally to an extent, uh, but uh, what this means uh, for Canada and soccer and World Cup. And again, who are we going to cheer for? Who are, uh, who are Canadian Italian soccer fans going to cheer for? Well, I imagine they'll cheer for both. Uh, but, it, but, but, but if it ever came down to Canada and Italy or Canada and Brazil or Canada, let's face it, we're a country made up of people from somewhere else, and uh, we have our we have our sports devotions back to uh, you know countries we came from. So it's a uh, it's interesting to watch, you know. And let's face it, uh, today we are looking for any we're looking to rally around any bit of good news we can find. Are we not? Huh? Tell me that isn't true. I mean, uh, it's been. Um, Two years of two years plus of, of uh, COVID. It's been the uh, Ukraine war for 30 days. It was uh, Donald Trump since around 2015, and uh, we're we're looking to rally around some good news, whether it's sports related, movie related, whatever it is. Um, I, I think I think that's going to help us celebrate some good news, uh, and we'll talk about that later. Because uh, by the way, the Canadian men's soccer team qualified last night. But the draw for the World Cup is Friday. The, no, the World Cup is not till November. But the draw for the World Cup is Friday. So by week's end, we'll kind of understand our chances, where we're going to fall in this big 32-team, I believe, tournament, and uh, where where we go. So thoughts on that and a few other things I'll mention in a moment. Let me just go through the phone numbers quickly here. If you want to join the program, I'd love to hear your thoughts on on uh, whether it's soccer or the childcare announcement today or uh, 
or some of the tougher stories we're facing today. If you have thoughts, share them with Kitchener today and me right now on City News 570 at 519-570-2545, 1-800-570-5715, toll free, of course, and star 570 on your cell. Here is Steve joining the program. Good afternoon, Steve. How are you doing today? I'm doing well. How are you? Not too bad. So to answer your question, who will the Canadian Italians cheer for in this World Cup? They'll cheer for Canada because Italy didn't make it. Oh, see, this is how much I know. Really? How did (laughs) Italy not make the World Cup? They didn't qualify. They lost out last week. Uh, Wow. Well, okay, I've been exposed, but I sort of exposed myself as a non-sports fan. I thought teams like Italy and and France or Brazil, like they didn't even have to qualify. They would be in year in and or tournament in, tournament out. No, they still got to qualify, and uh, unfortunately, Italy blew it again. <laughs> this time they blew it at the qualification rounds instead of waiting until the World Cup. So, uh, would Italy have um, who do they who do they lose to basically? Uh, I can't even remember who they lost to now. I just okay. heard they lost and saw it on uh, one of the sports channels in the morning. And I was like, wow, that's that's big. Yeah, that is big. I, I guess I missed that one. Steve, tell me, I mean, uh, you know, one of the things in, in Euro Cup and World Cup, one of the uh, things the media always covers is little Italy's from town to town. They go, here's, or, here's the Italian part of town and here's the cheery yeah. so i guess you're right that we won't be covering that in november we'll be uh we'll be watching be them all, cheer for canada it'll be all canadian yep <laughs> all right well all steve right, thanks for the day. clarification on that i appreciate that no problem have a great day okay you too see there you go uh that's that's why later on in the program i'm going to have somebody from sportsnet on to talk about this because i really did assume and this is one of the things i want to find out if you know, in the meantime, you can share it because we're not talking to the sports guy till closer to three o'clock. But it's it's I always assume that uh, in the World Cup that there were teams that didn't have to qualify, that there were just the soccer powers of the world uh, were in the World Cup. And then places like Canada and Jamaica and Costa Rica and others, we had to fight it out for the last few remaining spots. But, oh, it's an entire qualification process. Well, that that makes sense, I guess. Uh, joining the show is George. Hello, George. So, hey, Larry, how are you doing there? Good. How are you? Good. I don't know if you remember me or not. Back in the early 2000s, I used to call you a lot, George from Cambridge. I don't know if you remember that or not. I do. As soon as you said that, George, and I started to hear your voice again, I went, this is George. I remember George. For sure. And I, you don't know this, but about five, six years ago, I advocated for you, for them to hire you to work here at this station. Here you are. Well, OK, maybe it was maybe it was you. I was spreading you the gig. About you, I'm sorry about what happened to you at the other station, but I was advocating for you that you should come here and, uh, well, here and below, uh, I guess you're not really full-time yet, but hopefully uh, you will be. Well, we'll see about that, but George, I'm I'm here now, and I'm guest, I'm guesting, and I'm happy to do so, and uh, thank you for the call, George. I appreciate that, man. All right, George. Well, that was nice. It's always nice to get a little... Uh, Applause in even in a roundabout way, but 
Uh, it's Larry Fedoric, guest hosting on Kitchener Today on City News 570. I was talking about uh, soccer earlier because that's one of the topics we got coming up. Uh, maybe you have some thoughts on daycare. We were just talking about the announcement today by the federal and provincial governments of Ontario that um, there is now this affordable child care and early learning program that Ontario has signed in on with the feds. That is good news. Sean is joining the program. Hello, Sean. How's it going? Good. How are you, Sean? What's up? All right. Thanks. Yeah. Just let, just to bring you up to date, Italy was knocked out by North Macedonia. Second World Cup finals in a row that they've lost. I mean, missed. Wow. <laughs> it's pretty funny. Wow. Yeah. Now, one, one, I think one of the biggest problems for Canadian soccer is the fact that we're a country of immigrants. Everybody tends to support their home country. Sure. Like, yeah, for, I me mean, example, I, for me, for example, I support England. I've always supported England. I always will support England. <laughs> right, right. That's, no. that's, and, and that's been tough the last few uh, Euros and World Cups, hasn't it? I mean, they've it been builds, close. It builds character. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> mind, mind you, England did lose to Italy in the final of UEFA, so seeing Italy miss is like payback. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, rock you like a Harry Kane, man. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, that's I, I always love that. <laughs> that's the, thanks right, a lot. Thanks. thanks a lot, John. Hey, bye. That, that was, I think, the Euro. I want to, I want to say it was Euro when um, Harry Kane was uh, playing for England and the crowd started singing the Rocky Like a Hurricane song, but Rocky Like a Hurricane. And I thought that alone was worth watching soccer to me because I thought that was just so clever. You know, um, it's not another We Are the Champions or whatever. The, all this, you know, the favorite sports songs of stadiums and arenas. Uh, this was something a little cooler. I thought that was just so, so uh, clever. But I mean, and that's what it's like to get pulled into for me as a non-sports guy, uh, non-soccer guy, get pulled into these things because everybody's kind of into it. And there's a guy at every corner selling flags and various decorations for your car in the flags of the nation that you want to support. So uh, it's everywhere and people are wearing the jerseys. And, you know, if you're, if you, even if you're not watching it, and I've had this experience many times where um, I, I, I have no interest in a particular game and uh, I'm just doing something else sitting at home. And suddenly I'll just hear car horns and everywhere. And I'll just like, oh, I guess, you know, they won. <laughs> because it's hard not to be part of these major sports events. And especially something like a World Cup, which is it's like a playoffs sort of system, if you will. It's a tournament that goes on over days and weeks. So it's not a one-off, although it comes down to that. It's, uh, it's weeks and weeks. So you do get caught up in it. And... You know, Sean made a good point. You know, you're cheering for a country of origin, even if you're, I'm almost third generation Canadian, me. Uh, but a few years ago, when Ukraine had a team in the World Cup, I realize their priorities have changed, by the way. But when Ukraine had a team in the World Cup, I was like, all right, I, I'm going to cheer for them. Why? I, I don't know. I, I guess, because I'm supposed to. It was... It was just, it's, it's, I think that's what it's supposed to do, I guess, you know, as much as I kind of don't like the, the big salaries and the decadence of, of big time sports. And I have some issues with that as, and, but I always, you know, 
it's hard to kind of go against the grain. You kind of get caught up in it and you go, all right, this is what we need. We need our little distractions now. We need to cheer for the team. We need to wear the, the lucky jersey and wave the flag and do all those kinds of things. And in this country, uh, you know, the so-called mosaic as opposed to the melting pot, we are encouraged to keep our uh, heritage and our culture, which I think is a, is a good thing. And uh, that includes sports. So uh, I get that we, you know, in times of World Cup or whatever it is, we cheer for others. Well, I didn't really mean to talk about soccer, but thank you for talking about uh, soccer. Uh, we'll uh, continue our discussion about some of our topics today. Uh, coming up after 1.30 is when we're going to talk to Richard Southern, our Queens Park reporter for City News, about uh, the latest on Randy Hillier, that great uh, MPP character of an individual. Uh, who is not running for re-election in June and who's facing criminal charges over the truckers' protest. We'll get to those stories and more when we return with Kitchener today on City News 570. Welcome back. I'm Larry Fedora, guest hosting Kitchener today. And you can contact the program, be part of the show at 519-570-2545. Uh, program some of these numbers into your phone. So if you don't want to call now, but you feel like calling later, you'll know the number. 519-570-2545. 1-800-570-5715 is toll free. Star 570 on your cell. Uh, coming up a little bit more on uh, Randy Hillier, um, that uh, odd character MPP. Um, I'm being as kind as I can in uh this this uh, statement about him. But anyway, we're going to talk to our Queens Park reporter, Richard Southern. After two o'clock, if you're around or you want to come back, we're going to be talking about the slap at the Oscars. And I guess the Oscars a little bit as well. Uh, the TV show. I've never understood why the, uh, the movie awards has to be a TV show. I'll, I'll change that a bit. I, I get why it would be a TV show. I don't understand what's the big deal about the TV show. Just put it on TV. 10 million people watch, 20 million. Who cares? It's it's become this weird aspect of you're the biggest movie star in the world, but you want to be on TV for 10 minutes on a Sunday night sometime. I don't get I don't know. So we'll talk about all that. And, of course, that big slap, Will Smith on Chris Rock uh, after uh, 2 o'clock. And as we got into a little bit here earlier, uh, soccer, that's coming up after 2 o'clock as well, the qualification of the uh, men's team for the uh, World Cup. It is a big deal. Yeah. I, As I said at the beginning of that discussion, people are saying, boy, finally something to unite Canada. Yeah, I don't know. Sure. <laughs> if it does that, great. We could use a little unification. Uh, if it doesn't and it just becomes something that is a is a great sports story for us, then then that's good, too. We kind of uh, need that at this point. Uh, also, uh, today, if we have time, and I don't know, I actually, I'm back uh, guest hosting this week, at least so far, unless anybody changes their mind. I'm going to be back later this week as well. Uh, and I want to talk about this again today, if we have time. If not, later in the week, we'll certainly talk about the indigenous groups from Canada who are in Rome right now 
meeting with the Pope. And these are Inuit, these are uh, Métis, these are other indigenous groups talking about truth and reconciliation, obtaining records, getting an apology uh, from the Pope. And the Pope seems quite, um, according to the, the Canadian delegation, seems quite receptive right now. I think what they want eventually is a, uh, an apology from the Pope, but on Canadian soil. So we'll kind of be watching that story as well this week. More of Kitchener today. Richard Southern, our Queen's Park reporter for City News. We're going to talk about Randy Hillier when we return. Welcome back to Kitchener today. I am your guest host today filling in. I'm Larry Fedorik. Coming up on the program after 2 o'clock, the slap at the Oscars, maybe even... The Oscars as well will be the discussion with a professor of cinema studies at the U of T that's coming up after uh, two o'clock and then uh, a little bit more on the Canadian men's soccer team qualifying for the World Cup last night on Canadian soil. That was best. It's almost like they it's almost like they saved it. I'm not saying they didn't or purposely lost to Costa Rica one nothing last week in Costa Rica. Uh, No, they would never do that. But it was kind of nice to win it on home soil with a packed stadium of Canadian fans in red with the flags and the whole thing. I'm not the biggest flag-waving guy there is, but, you know, even that every once in a while kind of moves you a little bit. It's like, yeah, go Canada, go. Uh, this is a an interesting little uh, topic for me. I hope it is for you in that Randy Hillier has been an interesting individual, politician, MPP. Uh, I actually think over over the years I have talked to him. I was trying to recall this today when I heard, well, I know I have. I was just trying to recall the times when I heard today that Randy Hillier is facing uh, some added criminal charges as a result of his involvement and support of the truckers convoy weeks ago in the uh, city of uh, Ottawa. Joining us to talk about that, and I, I've been a fan of this guy's reporting for many years. It's great to talk to him. Queen's Park reporter for City News Toronto, Richard Southern, is joining us. Hello, Richard. Larry, I'm a fan of yours too, man. How are you, sir? I am good. Thank you for saying that. Thank you for joining us today as well. I, I take it you've covered uh, Randy Hillier as well as sort of as part of the Queen's Park beat for a number of years. Yeah, I mean, I remember... Uh, as we all did in the Queen's Park Press Gallery, Larry, going to uh, Mr. Hillier for uh, comments on everyday stories of Queen's Park. And he used to be a good guy to talk to because, you know, he would give you uh, some some of his unfiltered feelings on things. And they weren't necessarily uh, disrespectful or, or that uh, unusual at the time. But certainly, you know, since then, we've seen a, a big shift in, in Hillier. You know, he was thrown out of the PC party in 2019, and then the pandemic comes along, and he took some highly controversial and now allegedly illegal uh, stances, and, you know, culminating this morning with Hillier turning himself in, and he's sitting in a jail cell right now. So it's, it's kind of hard to believe in a way, Larry. Well, I, and I want to get back to that in a second, but just as something you touched on there is like, I, I remember him that way too, as kind of that plain spoken individual who didn't necessarily speak politico always, you know, kind of provided, I don't want to say the good sound bite, but just was a good guy to talk to in that way. 
that yeah, was back in the day. He did soundbite. I mean, I, I, that's why we went to him. And look, if you want to understand where how Hillier ended up at Queens Park, because in his past there is some foreshadowing, I think, of what ended up happening during the pandemic. In that, you know, he was a uh, uh, a licensed uh, construction electrician. That was kind of his first career, so we understand. Uh, he then got interested in property rights uh, activism. He was uh, the head of the, the Lanark Landowners Association. And when he was there, that association did some very uh, controversial uh, things, some, uh, uh, some really uh, controversial ways to get attention. They staged some demonstrations on highways. Uh, illegal deer hunts and, and, and highly controversial things like that uh, that maybe in some ways foreshadowed what Mr. Hillier ended up doing during the pandemic. But my point is there was always um, a little bit of controversy that followed this gentleman around right from the get-go, I think, Larry. Yeah, yeah. and, and uh, I'm trying to recall, why did he get booted from the Conservative Party? Well, he made a comment. There was a big issue about autism uh, at the time, and parents from autism, the autism? Uh, yeah, right. from yeah. groups were there, and he made some off-color remarks. Uh, but uh, his comments at the time weren't that high, weren't that bad. We, you know, we members of the press really thought at the time that the premier might have been looking for an excuse to get rid of Mr. Hillier, who had been a bit of a thorn in his side. But whatever the reason, uh, he got booted out in 2019 and has been sitting as an independent ever since. He actually hasn't been back to Queen's Park for quite some time, uh, what with the new or with the existing um, uh, COVID rules in place that he didn't agree with, Larry. And announced, by the way, we should say that he's not running for re-election in the upcoming June uh, Ontario election. Yeah, that's right. He's not running again. He initially said he would be running for uh, as an independent or for a new true blue party. That's what they're calling it here in Ontario. But uh, no, he said he's not running again uh, earlier this month. And, uh, you know, it's the seat he's held since 2007. So he's, only, he's been holding that that seat, Lana Krupnak, for for quite some time. Uh, sure has. Sure has. Now, uh, the stand on and the reason he caught my interest today a couple of things. He's he's always been an interesting guy, and he always has something to say. And I realize he kind of went anti-mask and somewhat anti-vax over the last year. I was disturbed by that. But then his 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 thoughts today on freedom of speech. He really saw this trucker's convoy as free speech, and the closing of it as an anti-freedom of speech movement. Yeah, no, absolutely. That's the way he sees it. And I think he, he, he said before that he sees himself as a victim of so-called uh, cancel culture. And look, he's facing some, some pretty serious charges, ones that he does deny, including, you know, that he allegedly assaulted a, uh, a police officer. Um, Hillier said today, what did he say? Quote, unless handshakes or warm embraces are now considered assault, I have no idea what they're talking about, Hillier says. So, you know, uh, he did some very controversial things. He's denying a lot of them. Uh, there were some really, I think, troubling uh, Twitter posts uh, over the past couple of months that, that got Hillier in a lot of hot water, including that he allegedly agged on his followers to bombard the Ottawa 911 service with calls. Um, we did end up with that service being temporarily, temporarily overloaded at a time. Um, and uh, he also posted pictures of, of individuals online who he claimed had uh, died because they took the COVID-19 uh, vaccine. It, it quickly came to light, though, that these were individuals that had died for other reasons. Uh, the families were very upset that their pictures obviously had been used for that. That's something that he uh, did actually apologize for. 
But there's a long list of some controversial actions he's taken during the pandemic, and, and the police are now alleging some, some more serious things that we weren't uh, even uh, aware of, like, again, that he allegedly did assault a police officer. Uh, your opinion, Richard Southern, Queen's Park reporter, City News, If would he get reelected? Uh, if he was it's, it's tough to say when well, now with the 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 prospect of of uh, criminal charges involved i think that you know would really throw a wrench into his his reelection plans um you have to understand too his riding of lanark Prutton act um uh, kingston one of the highest vaccination rates of any provincial riding you know in excess of 91 percent the last time i looked so you got to wonder the electorate there do they really are they really on board with a lot of his opinions about covid restrictions i'm not so sure they are when you see a vaccination rate that high um you know i don't know if you'd want to vote for a, an mpp that would be unable to sit in the legislature he was censored a couple of weeks ago mr hillier unless he was um the legislature said he had to send a, a series of letters of apology or they would not let him speak in the legislature so it'd be very difficult i think to get elected under these circumstances but you know one never knows well certainly uh, interesting some great insights there too thank you so much richard great to talk Larry, good to talk to you, too. Never a dull moment in provincial politics, my friend, with, what, nine weeks to go, I think, until the next provincial election. So I'm sure we'll be talking soon. All right, you bet. Richard Southern is the Queen's Park reporter for City News Toronto. And when Richard says never a dull moment at Queen's Park, uh, we only know that because of guys like Richard Southern who are there and uh, know the people and get the sounds for us and pass the stories along. So... If there's any excitement to uh, be found in in politics at a provincial level, it's because uh, the reporters managed to find it. Uh, Richard Southern, thank you so much again. Yeah, Randy Hillier, I don't know. I mean, I, I was concerned, I guess, and it's down the road in in Kingston area, uh, Lanark, Frontenac, Kingston, riding. But um, I, I guess, and, and Richard kind of, said the other way, it's, it's like there's not this pocket of Randy Hilliarites. I mean, there might be, I don't know, but are there people who go, yeah, the, because I, I didn't think the trucker's convoy was an example of freedom of speech in its purest sense of let me offer an opposing view and let's respect each other's right to a difference of opinion um, even strong opinions and the right to demonstration and protest. I didn't think, I'm not one of those people who thinks the truckers protest was that, uh, Randy Hillier does, I guess. So, um, you know, are there, are there enough of those pockets of people who would agree with Randy Hillier to get Randy Hillier reelected? Or someone like him, because, you know, reelected is a moot point. He's not running again this June in the provincial election. So um, I, I, I know that an extreme or a more extreme point of view exists on both the left and the right throughout the country. But, you know, if we're going to define, let's say, federally a Maxime Bernier as more extreme party, they didn't get very much of the vote, did they? You know, maybe enough to affect the Conservative Party of Canada vote, but really they didn't get that much. So 
uh, it's interesting when we see a guy like Randy Hillier who's been in provincial politics now for over 10 years to see this, how much more extreme he's got in his point of view and then, and then saying, all right, I'm done. You know, meanwhile, criminal charges. But, and, then, and then again, uh, I should have pointed this out to Richard. These days, criminal charges, depending on what they are, doesn't necessarily make you bad in the voters' sense. Some voters go, yeah, all right. <laughs> you know, uh, voters of a certain ilk, I think, would, uh, would almost find that an appealing factor. But nevertheless, here's Jason joining the program. Hello, Jason. I can't say I agree with everything about Randy Hillier, but I got to say it's kind of nice to see an MPP that's willing to go to jail for the freedoms of the citizens against uh, a, a federal leader in this country who uh, the European Union, they just called him a dictator and a threat to democracy and all that because of his uh, human rights violations. They told him he shouldn't even be speaking in the House at the EU because... Uh, a Who did this? Who did this? When did this happen? When did the European Union call Trudeau a dictator? That was last. That was last week when he was addressing the uh, addressing the EU, and uh, it surprised me because I heard he got a standing ovation, but eighty or ninety percent of the people, the leaders there walked out on him and didn't even listen to his speech because they're fed up with him and what he did with the truckers thing and all that. They called him a dictator for that. I, gee, Jason, you know, I I, I got to be honest, man. I don't think that happened. I, the only right. walkout I saw at the EU was for the Russian uh, foreign minister, or may have been the defense minister, I'm not sure, where when Zelensky spoke, they gave him a standing O, and then uh, the Russian guy came on via telelink of some sort. They turned their backs on him and walked out. Well, look at the crowd for all the other speakers, and look at the crowd that uh, Justin Trudeau had. It was, uh, it was bare bones. There was only like 10%, 20% of the people that were still there for Justin Trudeau's speech. They walked out in protest on him. Well, all right, Jason, thanks for the call. I mean, I, you know, I, I think um, I, I think what Jason just said was wrong. Uh, I think he's spreading, you know, disinformation. I, I mean, if the crowd was smaller, that's usually Canada's row in the in these international organizations. You know, we're you know, we get to stand next to Biden and, and Boris Johnson and some of the big guys. But usually we're in the second row because we're Canada. We're Canada. We're 35 million people. We're not. Uh, you know, we have a lower military budget. Uh, you, you know, good for us for stepping up in cases and helping refugees and being part of NATO and being part of uh, G7s and G20s. I realize we have an important role to play, but on the other hand, we're not, you know, we're not the big draw. We're not going to get the big crowds. I, I don't know that maybe there was a smaller crowd. It doesn't matter. Here's Scott. Scott has been waiting to join the show. Hey, Scott. Hey, how are you? Good. How are you, Scott? What's up? Good. I have to tell you, I, you know what? Your last caller was exactly, exactly correct. That it, it, it was more than one minister in that European Union Parliament that totally, totally, they, they actually asked him to, to relieve them of his presence. They wanted him to leave. He, he is totally 155% right. And I'm surprised that Somebody on the radio doesn't know this, and you almost said that you think he's wrong and, and this and that. It's What, what yeah, is truly shocking here is that it, the, the footage that, that everybody has seen, not just the fringe minority, the footage that people have seen, it is in European Parliament. There's, I think, the, the German, uh, there was a German representative that spoke like that. There was a, a Yugoslavian one or a Serbian one, and there was like a, a 
an Indian minister that spoke like that, as well as others. But they totally, totally told Trudeau what they see in the world, how he treated the protesters and stuff. And it was, he's not, he's not full of crap. When was Trudeau's time to speak, the place cleared out. He is telling the truth 110%. And this is the problem we have in Canada with our media and like totally TV and yourself as well. All right, Scott, thanks for the call. I still, I'm still not buying in on this, uh, on this whole theory now, but, and first of all, they weren't protesters in Ottawa. Uh, They were criminals for the large part. The, the protest was, uh, co-opted by uh, far-right uh, people right from the beginning. And uh, the Emergency Measures Act is something that was actually put in by a conservative prime minister to take power away from the prime minister and put it back to the government and the House of Commons, which means more uh, the people of Canada. So in other words, the prime minister can say, here's the Emergencies Act, uh, but it, the House of Commons has to say, okay, they have to approve it, which which happened, by the way. So anyway, here's Tom. We'll take one more call before the break, and it's Tom. Hi, Tom. Good morning. I, the one thing I'm just really tired of hearing is Trudeau's dictator, dictator, dictator. If you want to hear about a dictator, what about Ceausescu? The guy was a Romanian dictator. Millions of people died. You know, he literally took everything from their people. That's a dictator. Like, I'm not a fan of Trudeau, but this whole making your entire personality and the only point is, oh, F Trudeau, Trudeau this, Trudeau that, it's always going to be something that people are upset about. But he is definitely not the worst we could have. He's not the best, but again, he's not the worst. Thank you very much. Tom, you said it. You said what I'm thinking. Um, I don't, uh, there's things I don't like about him. There's things I like about what the government is doing uh, federally. Um, there's things about me that irk him. I don't like the, uh, F him or the, he's a dictator. I don't think that's political dissertation. I don't think that's discussion of, uh, just opposing discussion. You know, it's, it's, it's not, you know, what Tom said and what I said, kind of like this, disagree with that, disagree with something. He's not the best. He's not the worst is a far cry. That's discussion. It's a far cry from the guy's a dictator. You live in Canada, man. We don't like dictator uh, where what because criminals got taken off the street uh for having a hot tub and the like i i don't get it nevertheless we'll get the phone numbers out there and continue this discussion robert i know you've been holding but we'll get to you next if you want to continue to hold here on kitchener today city news 570 he also posted pictures of, of individuals online who he claimed had died because they took the COVID-19 vaccine. It, it quickly came to light, though, that these were individuals that had died for other reasons. The families were very upset that their pictures obviously had been used for that. That's something that he did actually apologize for. But there's a long list of some controversial actions he's taken during the pandemic. And, and the police are now alleging some, some more serious things that we weren't uh, even uh, aware of, like, again, that he allegedly did assault a police officer. That is Queen's Park reporter for City News, Richard Southern, talking about Randy Hillier, the MPP from the Kingston area, Landau Frontenac, Kingston, who's not rerunning or running for re-election in June, but the conversation about his truths uh, that were proven to be false got into this whole discussion very quickly on on uh, politics. And, and as to the claims that people walked out on Trudeau's 
address to the European Union last week, he received, and here's the line from a story from a reliable source that is backed up by other reliable sources and fact-checked, is that he received harsh criticism from some far-right populist anti-vaccine members of the European Council. Now, that's a little different than everybody walked out on him and called him a dictator, which never happened. And and somebody just told I'm surprised, Larry, you on the radio didn't know that that happened because it didn't happen the way you just said it happened. Like him or dislike him, I, I don't like that kind of disinformation. And Robert has been holding. Let's get to Robert before we run out of time. Hello, Robert. Hey, Larry. By the way, uh, and not to... to, to... To go against what you just said, uh, it's unfortunately a, whatever you just read is a powdered form of what happened. If you will go online, which be the beauty of YouTube, which it hasn't been. Where do you think I was? Very, I was online. Okay, okay. Well, then go on. You'll watch the German MP rip him a new one and actually call him a dictator. So I don't know where you're getting your information from. I watched it live and in color myself. So you, you watched it? Watched everybody walk out on him? Is that what you watched? On. Everybody walked out on him. I never said that. You just said no, that but that's what called him a dictator. Yes, they did. In fact, there were four different, four different MPs from different countries that spoke out very horribly against them. Period. And you and they and they weren't far right activists, anti-vaxxer, populist politicians, were they? That. Wow, I've, I've never heard a, a more conjuring set of words to make sure that you say, hey, whatever those people say must be crazy. What do you mean, anti Well, if they're, you know, so, 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 I call them as I see them. I call them as I see them. If they're crazy, they're I'm crazy, so Larry, man. Larry, what's an anti-vaxxer? An anti-vaxxer was somebody who is against a uh, vaccine for no particular good reason that I can see for no medical reason because they think the... The vaccine all, all, is going to be implanting Larry, a chip vaccine. or some sort of a tracking device or whatever. I didn't ask that. That's kind of well, how we feel about is. what anti-vaxxers are. Do we not? So, well, an anti I've had all my vaccinations. Did I decide to go down the path of having an mRNA vaccination? Would that make me an anti-vaxxer? Or would that make me not possibly understand or believe in the science that was given to me for this specific vaccine. Would that make me an anti-vaxxer or someone that has a little bit of common sense? Geez, I don't know. Common sense-wise, Robert, I'm not hearing a lot. And I'm not stop- I'm, I'm not, not cutting you off, Robert, because you're Robert. I'm cutting you off, Robert. I'm cutting you off, Robert. Pay attention. I'm cutting you off because we're just, we do have a time constraint here. And, and, and I'm going to do it then. And uh, I don't know if they're going to pick it up after the, uh, two o'clock news because we do have uh, uh, other topics on uh, the schedule. This is Kitchener Today News, <laughs> City News, rather, 570. Welcome back to the program. I'm your guest host today, Larry Fedorik. Great to be part of uh, City News 570 on uh, the midday here on Kitchener today and uh, if you've been part of the program for the last uh, 15 20 minutes uh, just let me address the previous 
discussion, argument, disagreement on uh, politics and politicians. Let me just add to that to be continued. Okay, simple enough to be continued at a time because this hour we did have some planned discussions. One of them is we touched on it earlier is the national moment that we want to have with the victory of the Canadian men's soccer team qualifying for the World Cup for the first time in 36 years. Is it this big national moment? Well, maybe it isn't today, but will it feel more like it in November when they begin playing in Qatar? We'll see. But we're going to talk about that with a sports uh, soccer expert from Sportsnet coming up in the next half hour. Uh, This half hour, it's uh, not often that we will talk about the Oscars. If we're movie fans, we'll talk about the Oscars the next day. Um, If a movie we liked won or, uh, you know, our favorite star won an award or what have you. Or, you know, Canadians, uh, and Denny Villeneuve did uh, did uh, uh, win some prestigious, uh, well, director at the Oscars, so great for Canada and all that. But then we do talk about it when something happens. And what happened, I'm sure you've heard by now, is the slap. And it began when uh, a former host of the Oscars, Chris Rock, who hosted in 2016, and at the time did have a few Will Smith, Jada Pinkett jokes directed her way. Uh, But last night did direct a joke at Will and Jada, and this was the joke that started it all. Fairly simple joke. Here it is. Jada, I love you. G.I. Jane 2, can't wait to see it. All right? So so that's the joke. Now, um, if you saw Jada Pinkett Smith or or you didn't know, she's got, uh, I believe it's called alopecia, and uh, she's been very public about it, and it it leads to hair loss. So she's got a very kind of shaved hair, shaved head look, um, which uh, she's beautiful. So anything would become her. She's lovely. Uh, But the kind of look you might have if you got a buzz cut, if you're going into the army, that's the GI Jane joke. So whatever it is, doesn't seem particularly offensive, but you could see that um, Will Smith took offense. And the next thing you know, Will Smith is walking up, to the stage and slaps him. <laughs> Chris Rock comments. Oh, wow. And it's, wow. Everybody's stunned by this. They saw, And Chris Rock was presenting a Best Documentary Award, so that goes, and the minutes go, and the whole place is on edge. Some other presenters comment on it, some don't. It moves along. And then it's time for one of the big awards, Best Actor, for which Will Smith is nominated and he wins. So here's Will Smith. Art imitates life. I look like the crazy father, just like they said. <laughs> I look like crazy father, just like they said about Richard Williams. Um, but love will make you do crazy things. Now he played, and he won for a character called Richard Williams, a real-life person, uh, father of the uh, um, Serena and Venus Williams. It's kind of their story, but it's kind of his story of uh, how he saw the talent of his two young daughters and and now how they become international uh, uh, stars, international citizens, uh, tennis superstars. So it's kind of a movie about their dad. It's called King Richard. Okay, so he won for that. Uh, some people say he should give back his award because of the slap. He apologized for it to the Academy, but not to Chris Rock. Uh, later, Chris Rock 
and people connected to him refused to file a police report or press any charges. So it looks like it's something between two individuals and um, perhaps it was based on uh, years of what he felt were distance from Chris Rock from 2016 or that one joke, put him over the top, I don't know. Our guest is a professor, a principal actually of Ennis College uh, and professor in Cinema Studies Institute and Department of History at the University of Toronto. Charlie Kyle is joining us. Hello, Professor Kyle. Hi. Tell me, first of all, history. Where does this event, where does this little incident go in the, in the history of the Oscars? How does that fit in? Well, uh, I guess in the history of low moments, it'll rank pretty high. Um, there hasn't been, to my mind, a physical altercation on the stage of the Oscars before, so I guess it's a first. Yeah, I mean, there have been protests and, you know, famously a streaker and these kinds of things. There's been uncomfortable moments, but this was really different, wasn't it? Yeah, and I think that the unpredictability of it, I mean, if you think about how many comics of different stripes have told jokes that maybe didn't land that well, that maybe even had a personal edge to them in the past, they haven't invited this kind of response. So it, it is, as I say, it's a first, it's unique. And I think certainly nothing that anybody involved with the Oscars would have wanted to have happened. Um, yeah. I mean, we're all talking about the Oscars and I guess, you know, people say any press is good press, We're but, but that's, that's not the press they want, is it? No, although, you know, if you ask any spokesperson from the show, they're going to say this is unfortunate, and of course they're mulling over uh, how to take it all in. But on the other hand, what the Oscars want is relevancy. Um, and in our social media-driven environment, this is a viral moment, and it will get, well, we're talking about it right now. So it is clearly, as you said at the outset, it's put the, the Oscars into the I would say global conversation in a way that they really haven't been for a while. So as much as this might not have been desired as an outcome, it has done what the, you know, the retold broadcast was meant to do, which was to make the Oscars something people want to talk about. All right. I want to ask you about the retooled broadcast. Actually, when I was thinking about this yesterday before the Oscars happened, I said I should talk about the retooled broadcast on Monday, but then this happened. Um, should should uh, by the way, where do you fall on this? Should Will Smith return the Oscar? Is it is it that egregious an offense? Well, that's a tough one. Um, I well, first of all, I don't think he will. <laughs> so certainly, no, it's up to no. him. I don't think it's going to happen. Um, you know, once awards are bestowed, uh, they're hard to take back, um, and I don't I don't see him volunteering to do same. So I think that it's pretty much his. Uh, there may be an asterisk beside it, saying you know that the winning of the award was definitely overshadowed by his actions beforehand. I'm sure if now if he had it to do over again, he would have done it differently. But this was clearly, a, you know, in the passionate moment act. And uh, he's kind of stuck with it. He said on his acceptance speech, you know, love makes you do crazy things. I'm like the crazy guy. They said that the crazy father, they said uh, uh, Richard Williams was... He addressed it, apologized to the Academy. I mean, does that cover him? Have I, I haven't seen any social media. I'm, I'm sure it exists, but I just haven't seen it. That right. says, way to go. Well, way to go, dude. Yeah. Stand up for your wife. Way to go. I think there are two divergent camps. Uh, this is one of the reasons this is a social media moment, because you're not going to get a unanimity of opinion about whether that act was defensible or not. 
Uh, there were there are some who have come forward and said it's wonderful to see uh, you know a husband stand up for his wife and uh, to not let her be publicly humiliated in that way. Others, especially comics, are saying this is basically saying it's open season on comics saying anything uh, that someone in the audience might not disagree with. And you can imagine that if hecklers become emboldened to become physical uh, in their reactions to what comics say, that that's a dangerous precedent. So there are very much two different uh, positions being adopted on this particular action. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I did stand up comedy for a number of years and hecklers were one thing, but if somebody stood up and made, started moving towards the stage, security came out of the corners. That was the line, you know, there's no, there's no physicality. I, I mean, I also have this theory that if Amy Schumer's up there making that joke, Will Smith doesn't go up there. At least I want to think so, that this was a real, you know, machismo kind of thing. Yeah. And I mean, I think, again, as you had alluded to in your opening remarks, there is a bit of a history between Chris Rock and the Smiths. So that also probably fed into it. But, you know, I'm not going to adopt the position of being sympathetic towards Will Smith. I think the act of violence sort of stands on its own. But this was a night for him that was already very charged, you know, and we have to remember that all of the potential Oscar winners go through the circuit of awards that lead up to the Oscars as the crowning moment. He'd already won several other awards. It's a it's a big night for him. He's 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 emotionally probably overwhelmed by everything that's going on. And for whatever reason, that comment hit him the wrong way. And I don't think he really knew what he was doing when he went to hit Chris Rock. However, had he hit Chris Rock and hurt him more, that excuse of I was overwhelmed wouldn't get you very far in a court of law. So um, I guess in some ways he's very lucky that he only slapped Chris Rock and that Chris Rock did not decide to, uh, let's say, file that as an assault charge, which I think he could persuasively make the argument it was. I, I think he could have. Uh, it's. I, I think it was the police that came to him and said, you want to file charges, not the other yeah. way around. Uh, I also, you know, my other thing on Will Smith is he's not 25. He's not a, a hot-headed kid. <laughs> yeah, that's true. And and maybe, I can't put myself in his position, but maybe should have known better. I don't know. I think that, you know, I think most people looking at that would probably come to two conclusions before the slap. The first would be that probably is a bit below the belt as a comment, as a as a crack, as a as a supposed joke, because you're dealing with someone's physical condition that they can't do anything about. That's usually considered off limits for comics. Uh, It'd be one thing if, you know, she'd made a bad movie and he made a joke about that movie. That seems like fair game. And that's often the sort of comments that get made at these shows. But the other is that. You know, both Jada Pinkett Smith and Will Smith could have simply reacted by giving him the stony stare and risen above it. And that probably would have been that. The joke would have probably thudded as, frankly, I think it should have because it seemed like it wasn't particularly funny. And, you know, it, it no, wasn't, wasn't. going to go wasn't anywhere. Joke at all. No. It wasn't going to be one of the memorable jokes of the evening. Unfortunately, Will Smith's reaction inflamed it, made it a co-celeb. And, and now we're here talking about it. All right. And and so we don't, uh, well, maybe we already have beaten it to death, flogged the dead horse proverbially. But getting back to the show itself, um, I said earlier, I don't know why there's such a big concern about a movie awards program being a decent television show. What's the difference? I know ratings matter and I know there's dollars there, but what, well, the retooling, yeah. what did it work? The, Was it any good? Uh, uh... 
Well, <laughs> that's a, it's yeah. a hard one to answer because the show was such a mixed bag. Um, I think that what's going to happen is, as you said, again, there are a large number of people who watch the Oscars because they care about movies in one way or the other. I mean, they may not have seen every nominated movie, but they like the idea of award show that celebrates excellence in some field, in this case, the movies. Uh, at the extreme end of that spectrum, you have people who are watching the nominations carefully, who've seen all the movies, who are in pools, et cetera, et cetera. At the far other side, you've got people who are like, the Oscars are on. Um, and so between those two extremes, you want to capture as many people you can as you angle towards those who would never watch it in a million years. And to do that, so the masterminds at ABC, which is the sponsoring American network for the Oscars, and they've had a long-standing contractual relationship with the Academy, they are aiming to maximize audience. And so they're looking at every possible way that they could get more people to watch. And you saw some of those efforts last night, I think largely unsuccessful ones, bringing in people like Tony Hawk to introduce, you know, a James Bond mini retrospective video, um, having odd pairings that don't really make a whole lot of sense to give out awards to which they have no connection, but then also doing these audience-driven Twitter-based um Who's the, you know which was your most popular uh, movie moment of the last year, uh, and those I think just fell like completely flat. They didn't work. Mm-hmm. To I, I doubt that if, if you're somebody who has no interest in the Oscars, I don't think knowing there's going to be a countdown to the best movie moment is going to suddenly make you want to watch a three plus hour telecast. It just doesn't make a whole lot of sense. I forget who it was. I want to say it was Wanda Sykes who said about um, The Power of the Dog, I've watched that movie three times. I'm halfway through it. Yeah. Well, you see, this is one of the problems the Oscars has, is that if you're going to set yourself up, and there's a lot of debate about whether the Academy actually can do this or does do this, but if you're going to set yourself up as some kind of arbiter of artistic excellence, chances are your choices are not going to align with the films that are most popular. And I think even a lot of audience members, films that they gravitate towards, they're not going to say that was the best movie of the year. They're not going to try to pretend that that met some kind of you know, barometer of artistic achievement. So what does the Academy do when the films it nominates are not the films that most people are going to see? This is an age-old problem for the Oscars because they're trying to be a mass audience phenomenon. One of the ways you do it is to have the stars come in their finery, and then some people will watch the Oscars just to see the stars all dressed up, and that's fine. Um, but the problem is with the splintering of the media universe in the way that it's happened of over the last, you know, now we're talking many years, um, there's different ways to consume that, and you don't need to watch the telecast in order to get that charge. And that's the dilemma that the telecast finds itself facing. And it is not alone in this. I mean, there are most awards shows have gone, have seen their ratings tumble precipitously. One of the ways you do keep people interested is if they find out after the show, if I'd only watched, I would have seen that moment that everybody's talking about now. Darn, I wish I had watched after all. And so that's what I mean about, even though this is an unfortunate incident, it's one that's drawn a lot of attention to the Oscars as a cultural moment. Well, I could just go on about this stuff forever, and uh, I don't have forever, but this has been a fascinating insight. Uh, Professor Kyle, thank you so much. Thank you.
Charlie Kyle is principal of Innes College, professor in Cinema Studies Institute and Department of History, University of Toronto. You have some thoughts on this, on the slap or the Oscars? We'll pick up the conversation again in a moment here on City News 570. There are some who have come forward and said it's wonderful to see, you know, a husband stand up for his wife and to not let her be publicly humiliated in that way. Others, especially comics, are saying this is basically soap and season on comics saying anything that someone in the audience might not disagree with. And you can imagine that if hecklers become emboldened to become physical in their reactions to what comics say, that that's a dangerous press. So there are very much two different positions being adopted on this particular action. Those are great points made by our guest only moments ago, Charlie Kyle, professor at the University of Toronto, Cinema Studies and History, about the slap. And um, we're talking about the slap from the Oscars last night. And I don't think we'll be talking about it tomorrow that much. I think it's one of those events where it takes over and then it's gone because of what it is. And, and you know, the only thing I would add to the professor's comments is that about comics and Hexler, Hexler, excuse me, hecklers is... Uh, is this wasn't a little comedy club. This was the Oscars, you know. And to be motivated to do that at the Oscars, wow. And as I said, I, I, I like to think that if it was Amy Schumer, who was very funny, by the way, last night, I was glad to see her up there. I'm a fan. Um, that if it was Amy Schumer doing a joke, that she might have got yelled at or the finger or stared the stare, you know. I don't think he would have went up there. I also think just to not to open up a hornet's nest, but if it was an interracial slap, I I wouldn't have taken it that way. I would have taken it just as a guy standing up for his wife slapping a comic. But I think the world would have gone crazy if it was an interracial slap. Don't you? I don't know. Anyway, here's uh, Chris. Chris is joining the show. Hey, Chris. Thanks for having me. Uh, I think this is a man standing up for his wife. <clears throat> I'm sure right. Will has a better understanding of how Jada has handled uh the disease that she has and losing her hair loss. And that maybe that was probably what drove it is that he knows how much Jada has probably struggled with this. He doesn't want, and there's beef between Chris and Will Smith going back to 2016 and before. <clears throat> so right. there's history behind that. And I think it's about time that people stand up to comics because co comics shouldn't get away with just, saying whatever they want. And I think this is maybe a hope, I hope, that comics wake up uh, and take notice because you, you can't just go around making fun of people, in, in especially physical disabilities. And what Will Smith did was right. And I think the fact that he did it at the Oscars was just, I, I'm still very flabbergasted that yeah. it happened. And he had a smirk on his face when he walked away from Chris Rock because he was proud of what he did. Yeah, I'm going to I'm gonna stop you there, Chris, just for time. And I apologize to the other people holding, but we're just out of time on this. And, and I want to add real quickly that I think Chris Rock was poking the bear a little bit. And I, I didn't like the joke. Uh, if it was on anything else, uh, I would have said, OK, well, I guess he's just, you know, having some fun with his old rival, Will Smith. That, the joke wasn't a good joke. And I'm a fan of Chris Rock. It just wasn't a good joke, though. It was just, um, you know, and and and, and y this kind of thing w might be allowed in a comedy club where that's what I paid for. I paid to see a comic uh, go over the edge 
And uh, George Carlin famously said, you know, a comic's job is to take somebody to the edge, take them over, but make them glad they took the trip. And he certainly did not do that with that joke. It was just kind of cheap shot. You got a cheap shot back, if you will. Well, maybe not a cheap shot back, but he got a shot back. All right. It's uh, Kitchener today. We'll be back. To the program Kitchener today with your guest host Larry Fedorik. Uh, I was here a week ago. Glad to be back with you. And um, as we uh, wrap up the program today, I will remind you that uh, our phone lines will be open. Uh, I want to talk soccer here in a second, but our numbers are 519-570-2545, 1-800-570-5715, toll free star 570 on your cell are you wrapped up in this soccer hoopla maybe not even as a soccer fan but just a fan of a great canadian moment uh about the canadian and if you haven't heard canadian men's soccer were playing in this i guess tournament qualifying tournament to be part of the world cup they needed, uh, and they've been doing well. I kind of can keeping track of this, and I don't follow it that closely. I was keeping track of this. And they needed one more win, and they were in Costa Rica, and they lost one nothing. But then they had several more opportunities to clinch this one more victory to be in the World Cup. And their next chance was was last night, after Costa Rica. Their next chance was last night at BMO Field, uh, Toronto, Canadian soil against Jamaica, and a decisive victory put them into the World Cup. Uh, what a moment. Our guest uh, knows more about this than I do. Of course, a lot of people do, but I know this guy knows a lot more about uh, uh, the game and the setup. Uh, Faisal Kamisa is with uh, Sportsnet and joins us now. Hello, Faisal. Hey, how are you doing? I'm doing great. How are you? Oh, I'm feeling so good. It could be this cold outside every day if it meant Canada was going to the World Cup, so I'll take it. <laughs> All right. All right. Uh, you know, I was watching some of the highlights of the game and it, you know, it wasn't exactly balmy at BMO field last night, but then there was a couple of weeks ago in Hamilton with the snow and, yeah. and it was really interesting to watch, uh, you know, Canadian players frolicking in the snow and the ice to win a soccer game. It, it feels like a Canadian way to have done it, right? Like if this is what you were going to do, if you were going to do something for the first time in, 36 years why not make it the most canadian way possible too and uh it, it was just wonderful to see the scenes and i don't think you know there were 30,000 people in toronto yesterday watching that game and uh i don't think they cared how cold it was it could have been 20 degrees colder and they would have still been there cheering and waving their flags and supporting the guys on their mission because um it, it was an important important moment in sports history in this country and everybody wanted to be part of it so, Faisal, I've been watching off and on since the North American Soccer League and the Toronto Blizzard and hearing the yeah. conversation about this is it, this is soccer in Canada and the way it's going to be. And it, it seems to have taken till now. Am I wrong or right in that? I mean, w what has happened to sort of say now is Canada is, is, is a soccer factor in the world? Yeah, you know what? I when, when they made the tournament in 86, and look, I, I wasn't born then, but and speaking to some of the players and, and people that were involved with the team then, I think the expectation was once that happened, that would be the setting off point for the sport in this country going forward. But, you know, the Federation didn't handle the resources well. They didn't recruit the, play, the players well. 
and ultimately it led to, I think, a more detrimental turn for the program than anything else. And it has taken an entire generation. But in that time, we've seen not only, you know, the proper money being invested in the, into resources, into facilities, into academies in this country, but we saw the rise of the women's program as well. And that made people talk. And, you know, for as well as they were doing, they, they even knew, and John Herdman, who was the Canadian men's manager and was their manager, the women's manager at the time of the 2012-2016 Olympics, he knew that the men needed to do well for anything else in this country to work. And, you know, they invested their resources properly. They recruited a bunch of really good players. They got buy-in from a bunch of players that maybe they wouldn't have all the time. And here we are celebrating a very special moment. And now it feels like this is a lasting a lasting moment because the players are young. The players are good. They're playing in the biggest leagues around the world, not just in Canadian leagues, not just in North American leagues, not in the third, fourth divisions of these leagues in major countries. The very top leagues in the world have Canadians featured in them. And uh, that, that's the only way you sustain success. Well, and what I've heard, and I believe this to be true is uh, this is not their World Cup. Qualifying is not the end. They're not no, just no. happy to be in. They want to win no. now in Qatar. Yeah, you know, for them, the players, of course, that's their mindset. I think for a lot of fans, I think for a lot of diehard soccer people in this country, this was a good moment. To, to get there in itself is an achievement because they've been embarrassed at this stage for so many years before. And they didn't have a moment like this. They thought they had teams that were close, only to find out they couldn't even hold the field with some of these. I mean, the most recent example was 2014 in, in the qualifying for that in 2013, I guess. They needed a tie in Honduras to make it to the final round of World Cup qualifying. They lost 8-1, 8-1, you know, wow. against a team that they, they dominated this time around. And so, you know, they weren't ready then, but they're certainly ready now. And look, for as great as the story is and for as happy as people are that they're going there, this team is not satisfied from talking to the players. They believe that they can step on a field with any 11 players in the world and compete. We're going to get a chance to see that obviously in Qatar in November. And uh, I could not be more excited to see how this program stacks up with the rest of the world. All right. And and that was my question, Faisal. Faisal Kamisa uh, with Sportsnet. Can they, can, can they, go toe-to-toe literally with anybody in the world or or we just don't know yet we won't know till uh Ketter. yeah look i don't know if they can right look there, there are some unbelievable soccer countries in the world you think about the brazils the argentinas the germany's i wouldn't put them as favorites against either of those clubs either of the top nine or ten teams in the world but you also look at the rankings and you realize that mexico and the u.s are amongst the top you know 20 teams in the world and Canada had no problem going through them two times over the course of this qualifying. And so I'm not ready to count this team out. I understand the monumental task that's at hand. I understand we may be living a little bit prisoner of the moment right now, but if this team believes they can, who am I to say they can, they have a manager that inspires them each and every game. They have an implicit belief that they belong on the field with any set of players in the world. They haven't proven it on the world stage yet, which is why I'm a tiny bit skeptical. But, you know, at the very least, I'm excited to find out what they're willing and able to do. And um, certainly in four years' time, when the tournament is partially hosted in Canada, I think their infrastructure and their player quality is going to be a lot better. They're going to get such good experience in Qatar that it's only going to serve them better going forward. 
Yeah, I mean, there's there's uh, 14 and 15 year old uh, superstars probably around the country that uh, are waiting for their chance, and that that's been part of it for me. And where I think now it's solidified is is these young girls uh, in the parents' van and the young boys. They've got figures to look up to. They've got people to say, oh, yeah. "Yeah, I could be that guy." Where they didn't really yeah. have them in in the past. You know, I spoke about that. I hosted our our World Cup qualify our clinching show on Sportsnet yesterday, and I ended it by talking about my experience with the sport and how my parents came from East Africa, and you know, their soccer idols were whatever exposure they got at that time in their countries, which was the English Premier League at the time, and some of the global names, and so they came here, and that influence got passed down to us, and. As kids, we never wanted to be Canadian soccer players because we simply didn't have the memories attached to them or the players that were playing on the world stages. Well, you know, 2012, Canada wins a bronze medal at the Olympics, and an 11-year-old girl named Julia Grosso is watching that team do that and says, I want to do that as well. And Julia Grosso scores a gold medal-winning penalty kick for Canada at the Olympic Games in, obviously, 2021. That's what it means, right? When you have success, when you have a group of players that motivate an entire country, all you're doing, and this is the best part, is inspiring the younger generations. In fact, right before you know our call, I had lunch with my two nephews who drove down here with their dad from Ottawa. They're 10 and 8 years old, and they're huge soccer fans. And their whole life, they've been Lionel Messi fans, one of the most popular players in the world. But they could not stop talking about Alfonso Davies or Jonathan David or some of these players on the Canadian men's team. And they were so excited to be at the field yesterday to watch them. They're new idols, and, and they're going to have that memory forever, and they're going to want to grow up being these players forever as well. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's that's part of the story, part of the great part of the story, I should say. But, you know, and Alfonso Davis, they won without him. I mean, oh, there's a, right. there's one of the best players in the world in his position, and he yeah. he wasn't even there. He was off. He, he was hurt, unfortunately, dealing with uh, some side effects of getting COVID in January. But he was, you know, even he who was in Germany at the time, was streaming his live reaction. Everybody in the country, you know, there's like 10,000 people watching him. And he broke down in tears as well because as a guy that grew up playing sports and playing soccer in this country, and this was a message kind of echoed by everyone yesterday that, was, that were playing, they didn't believe this would happen this soon. They certainly believe in themselves, right? And as qualifying got further and further and they kept on winning, of course you're going to have a belief that you can actually go and do the thing. But... They didn't think it would come this soon, yeah. and they did it. Well, I mean, and and that's awesome. Yeah. Well, I, and I love Alfonso's story. I mean, uh, coming to Edmonton, um, you know, why don't we just pick the coldest city in Canada? Let's be honest, or whatever <laughs> it is. I don't know if it officially is, but there he is, a young child, and just and him coming back there and getting tickets for his old school. Oh. Uh, you know, the kids at where he went to school, and his, and I mean, it's just a class individual. I mean. If you're going to look up to somebody, not just because he's a sports hero, because he's a great person, there's there's a guy. And I I was watching him, <clears throat> Faisal, um, in his reactions, the way he was jumping up and down screaming. And I'm like, don't you have a heart condition? Like, man, he was he was expending more energy than he would on the field, it seemed. I mean, wow, he was excited. Yeah, look, and uh, there are people saying if he can jump that much, why couldn't he play? Obviously, it's not the same, but, yeah, you know, know, people are echoing the same things. And, look, it's hard not to get caught up in that moment. It's hard not to be, you know, a 21-year-old superstar in the world that was neglected from these opportunities as a country for your entire life and be like, oh, my God, I'm partly responsible for the group of men that are going to be playing in the world's biggest sporting event 
it's just an unbelievable feeling and that you understand obviously why he's caught up in such emotion there. Right. And um, the whole country was obviously, and for a guy that's going to be featured in it, it could only mean so much more. Uh, before we let you go, the draw for uh, the, how the, the tournament matchups is Friday. Uh, yes. How does that work? Are, is Canada yeah. already in a certain category of a draw or is it all open to all teams? So what happens now is Canada will be put into a pot and there will be four pots and they're generally based on where you are in the world's rankings. So Canada right now is sitting in the fourth and final pot, which means, and so the, obviously if the best teams are in the top pots, you want to be in one of the, you know, second or third pots so you can avoid getting into a draw or getting into a group that has a bunch of powerhouse teams together. There is a chance Canada could advance to pot three based on how their game goes on Wednesday and a couple other results go across, you know, world football over the next couple of days. But, you know, Canada won't mind being in that pot. They, of course, you want to get a good draw so you can get to the knockout round and try to get as far as possible. But, if, if we're trying to use this tournament as a gauge for how they're going to fare against the rest of the world, why not just throw them in anywhere? It, it, it's all good. They're going to be ready for it. That draw will go Friday. It's going to be an exciting time for, for the diehards who know what this means. It's going to be amazing for the casuals. There's going to be some confusion when you see balls getting pulled out of a hat, which is literally what's going to happen, but, or a <laughs> ball pulled out of a bowl, essentially. But that, that's as scientific as soccer gets, and uh, there's no bad way to do it. Well, this is uh, this is exciting. I mentioned off the top, I'm not necessarily the biggest sports fan and um, soccer fan. I, I do get into it time to time. Uh, and I love that this particular team and event has transcended just sports and become this cultural thing. So uh, I appreciate your time on this and, and your excitement too, Faisal. Thank you so much. Yeah. My pleasure. Thank you. Faisal Kamisa is with Sportsnet. Uh, the... Uh, what I know about, it, I mean, I just learned that now there are four different pots, literally four different bowls or four different divisions almost that the teams go into. And then the, the uh, 32 teams. So there'll be eight, you know, in the same or seven in the same pot with Canada and then, and then so on and so forth. And we'll be in this division to try and move on in, uh, in uh, Cotter. Is it, it, you know, I mean, I kind of, um, you do get drawn into the World Cup, as I said er earlier, because it, it's everywhere, and and uh, everybody's on every corner selling flags, and everybody is is wearing the colors, and it's it's hard not to get excited in the World Cup, and I and I do, uh, but with Canada in there, it's it's going to be um, even even different. We'll get to some um, more thoughts on soccer, and also to your remaining calls. Uh, when we return with more of Kitchener Today here on City News 570. It feels like a Canadian way to have done it, right? Like if this is what you were going to do, if you were going to do something for the first time in 36 years, why not make it the most Canadian way possible too? And uh, it, it was just wonderful to see the scenes. And I don't think, you know, there were 30,000 people in Toronto yesterday watching that game. And I don't think they cared how cold it was. It could have been 20 degrees colder and they would have still been there cheering and waving their flags and supporting the guys on their mission because it, it was an important, important moment in sports history in this country. And everybody wanted to be part of it. That really was. Uh, I, I agree with our guest, Faisal Kamisa uh, of Sportsnet. Uh, a, a monumental moment in Canadian sports history, you know, because Canadian sports history happens in soccer and basketball now, not just hockey and, and baseball, but uh, in soccer. 
yeah, absolutely. A great win for the men's team. And I know what he meant about what a Canadian way to do it. Do it on home soil in March in cold weather with snow and ice on the ground and um, in front of a packed house. That is the Canadian way to win a soccer game, I guess. Look forward to November. Uh, I want to get to some of your calls. We were talking about soccer earlier, about the Oscars, uh, the Chris Rock slap. Uh, That's kind of been our hour. And Andre has been patiently holding to talk i think about the oscars andre how you doing yes, yes sir but i just want to quick say about soccer i've been listening um that's pretty good to know that you know even if you're in the last position but you're in uh i i believe as canadian we can accomplish anything but you know you still need that super talent but we can learn a lot and we from from them going there and uh, you know the years after but it's a very good beginning beginning um, yeah. I had to call Larry because, uh, yeah, I myself, you know, between Okay, Andre, you're breaking up. Can you can you move or hold yeah. on to a coat hanger or something in the air? Because I, I'm not getting the signal here. <laughs> nice. Uh, can you hear okay, me? Okay, there you are. Awesome. Yes, go ahead. Perfect. Uh, no, I was just saying that the violence is never needed. Comedy is comedy, but like the one caller said, um, even if the comment is rude or whatever, the action is, uh, can never be. Because I've been told by uh, law that uh, rude comments is not a criminal act. So um, I know right. myself, I got spit in the face one time because I helped a, a couple into a domestic domestic and the person, right. they spit in my face, right? I did not do something as I wanted because there was kids around and I'm a better person. Like you said, we're not 25, we're 50 years old. So, you know, you need to back off and to deal with the situation differently. You know, when somebody does yeah. something wrong, as violent, it's wrong. And I, I don't know, I just too wrong doesn't make it right. And, uh, yeah, there will be consequence to it, I believe. All right, Andre, great call. Thank you for your call, Andre. Well said. I I echo that. I mean, I would have heckled, uh, if I were Will Smith and Anger, would have heckled him. Uh, maybe he would have walked on stage and nose-to-nosed him, you know, give him a little poke in the chest. Hey, you, cut that out. As he said later from his seat, uh, keep my wife's name out of your bleeping mouth. Um, and, you know, maybe said that on stage, the big slap. Yeah, I, I don't know. Here's Terry joining Kitchener today. Hello, Terry. Hey, hi, Larry. How are you? Good. How are you? Good, good thanks. Um, before I go on my uh, comment about the World Cup, uh, people have been calling uh, Justin Trudeau a dictator this morning. Right. Earlier. Right. Well, he's not quite a dictator, but if you shorten that word, that's probably what he is. But anyway, <laughs> you know what I mean. All right. Uh, okay. You know, he, your guest was saying about the pots, you know, the, the higher-ranked teams going to top pots. But you have to remember, right. too, is that uh, Qatar is going to be in one of those top pots because they're the host nation. So if All Canada right, can get right. a, if, if Canada, yeah, so it's the, well, and plus Italy's not even going to be in the World Cup, and they're one of the top 10-ranked teams in the world. So that uh, kind of moves Canada up a little bit. 
But if they can get in, in the, the draw goes Canada's way, if it's a favorable draw, and they get, end up in that Qatar group, who knows? Maybe they can advance past the uh, you know the group stage and go into the knockout stage. So it's it's some it's something to think about. But like your guest said, it is correct. The top, like even the U.S. and Mexico, they'll be higher ranked, so they'll probably be in the second pot. So even if they can get in in a group with one of those two teams, they might have a chance. But uh, chances are that uh, you know there will be a highly chance that there'll be two top teams in that. Uh, in their pool, or sorry, group. So it's going to be a, a hard road ahead because let's face it, they're not going to be playing Jamaica and Honduras. These are going to be top, you know, higher quality teams. So, but you know, it's let's just true. hope for the best and 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 just be you know proud that we're there for first time in uh, you know many 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 years. So let's go go Canada. Couldn't agree more. Yep, Terry, thanks for the call. Yeah, I mean, I, I mentioned that this Canadian team is not just happy to be there, that they want to win, uh, but let's. You know, as when it comes around, let's have a little happy-to-be-there moment. And then let's win. Here's Nick joining Kitchener today. Hey, Nick. Hey, how's it going? Good. How are you? What's up? Very good. Uh, just to, I don't know if you know this, but Liam Fraser, who's on the team, also our nephew, has a Kitchener-Waterloo connection as he grew up in Laurelwood here in town. Now, I went through the entire roster and uh, looked at – it didn't have much about them. There was birthplace and a lot of things, and I didn't find the connection. So thank you for that. That's that's an interesting connection. Yeah, Liam was born in Toronto but moved here when they were quite young. Uh, both his parents uh, worked here in Waterloo, and they lived in Laurelwood for a number of years before they moved back to Toronto for different job situations. Cool. Yeah. And that is good to know. 60th minute and you know it was just exciting to see him play oh for sure nick thanks for the call i'm going to go to chris real quickly and then chris i'll tell you ahead of time i only got seconds left what's up chris well i'm glad canada got in because now all the italian fans in guelph and toronto will have somebody to cheer for since italy didn't make the world cup that's right here yeah all right chris thank you Thank you, Chris. Uh, Italians. Okay. Yeah, sure. Uh, Italians, Chris, thank you. And thank you to everybody uh, involved in the show today. This is uh, Kitchener Today. I'm Larry Fedorik on City News 570.